and it's all about that perspective within it so that we can recognize that we don't have to settle to be starving artists. We can find those clients whose values and pocketbooks align with what our value is worth. I could charge $50 an hour, I could charge $500 an hour, I could charge $5,000 an hour, and I would find the right client to align with that. You have to have confidence in yourself and in your ability. You gotta be able to say these kind of numbers without flinching. You're on a mission and you just need more people to know about it. And whether you're brand new to marketing or a seasoned pro, we are all looking for answers to make marketing decisions with purpose. I'm Monica Pitts, a techie, crafty business owner, mom, and aerial dancer who solves communication challenges through technology. This podcast is all about digging in and going digital. I'll share my marketing know-how and business experience from almost 20 years of misadventures. I'll be your backup dancer so you can stop doubting and get moving towards marketing with purpose. Hello again, and welcome back to Marketing with Purpose. My name is Monica Pitts, and I am the lucky lady and host today that gets to interview our guest, John Michael Perry. Now, I sent out an email. If you're on my email list, you might remember it. Probably the best email I've sent in a long time. And I said, hey, does anybody out there have a story to tell or something that they want to talk about on the Marketing with Purpose podcast? And John emailed me back with some great ideas, some ones that I like feel in my very soul. And so I am so excited to have these discussions with him. So we're going to cover not understanding your own worth. And I think this is a challenge that a lot of small business owners and nonprofits really, really face. I think that people, though, even experienced business owners face it sometimes. So John, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your business, Imaginary Friends Design Studios. Good morning, Monica. Thank you so much for having me on today. Uh, I am John Michael Perry. I am. I founded Imaginary Friends Design Studios 21 years ago. We are a specialty marketing firm that emphasizes brand identity, digital footprint, and strategic engagement. And we help small to medium businesses with those endeavors to make sure that they have a common voice, a common vision, and a common communication point to their customer base. So how did you wander into this business? Like, what is your story? I started my senior year in high school. I stole the family's computer, stuck it in my room, dialed into AOL at 2400 baud, and right-clicked and read the scripting language, HTML, and figured out how to make my own websites at the age of 17, 18. I went off to college. I initially wanted to make video games for LucasArts. Uh, so I went into computer systems engineering. When I hit discrete mathematics and thermodynamics, I realized that wasn't quite my bag. Uh, I transferred out to architecture for a couple of years and then eventually wanted to just wrap it up and got a degree in business and art history. All the while working as a graphic designer for this company, a web designer for that company, uh, wherever it made sense. And then when I did graduate, it was in 2001, in the middle of the dot-com bust. So I just freelanced for those uh, that I could. I joined a BNI chapter and kicked off with that and was doing really well for about a year. And then I got really sick, was in the hospital for about three months and got out and had to move home with mom and dad. Their small business needed some management help at the time. So I helped with that and decided that I would just 
regroup and hang a shingle and start imaginary friends back in uh, 2022 or 2002. That's awesome. I too started my, um, my HTML adventure back in, I started it in 1996 because my mom convinced me to take a class at the career center at our, in our community. And I, I honestly, HTML is cool. Like it's like, it's like learning another language that's based in English. So it was really, really fun. And I, I enjoyed learning it. Then when I like endeavored into learning XML, I was like, I cannot, I, my brain just exploded. I don't know what's going on with this stuff. Cause it's not, I don't know, but there have been so many trends through the years. Right. So tell me like, what is your like least favorite design trend? What's the one that you're like, if this comes back, I'm quitting. What's that design trend? <laughs> I truly feel that the blink tag was the greatest contribution of the HTML consortium, the W3C consortium made to this. And, you know, for those who are too young and never known, the blink tag was basically taking any sort of text and just making it blink incessantly. This is very much a 18 to 25 year old thing. It was done ridiculously all the time. And so I am so thankful that that is gone. And yes. most people won't even be aware that it even was a thing. I am thankful that I don't do work for realtors anymore. So I don't have to add starbursts to anything. No starbursts, please don't. Um, so I'm, I'm happy that that has retired from my design vocabulary. I'm, I mean, like I have to ask you, so you've been at this for a while. And so you have figured out like what your own worth is, hopefully as a designer. I mean, I'm looking at your beautiful office right now. So clearly you, you figured out how to do this. How did you discover that? Like, tell me a little bit about that journey. Try to explain creatives to someone who isn't creative is a very challenging thing. Try to manage creatives and explain that to people who manage non-creatives is a very challenging thing. Uh, I was diagnosed with depression when I was at college, uh, something I've carried for my life. I know it's not the most glamorous of mental illnesses. It is still a mental illness. It gives me a certain level of empathy because most creatives do have some touch of mental illness across the board. I think that's one of our, you know, superpowers and also equally our kryptonite all at the same time. And so having that revelation and being able to understand and, and wear it and own it helps part of that process. However, the shame of that, until I owned it, accounted for some of my devaluation of self because I'm broken. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not quite there. That I am not normal. There's something off about me. And growing up in a rural community, that's that's not exactly embraced. You know, so I think that that is part of it. And then also, you know, having certain instructors growing up when I was showing a flair for something, they had to add their mark to it. Did not help. It devalued that artistic sense in, in, in what I could bring to the table. At one point in time in college, I discovered swing dancing and, yes. and I loved it. And I got pretty good at it. I, I traveled a lot. I competed. It, it was a great, great time. And I loved it. And I owned the space that I was in. Now, I am an introvert by nature. I know you may not believe me by my intro, I can speak to an audience of 60,000 people, no problem, but I cannot work a room to save my life. Very few instances do I feel comfortable doing that. Swing dancing is one of those places where I learned how to own my space. A lot of that went away, though, when I got ill. 
So as I started my business, I valued it initially, like I think most people value their skill set in a dollar. Now people get into business because of the trait and skill that they excel, not because they're great at business. And I was no exception to that role. Even freelancing, you know, it's a difference between freelancing and actually hanging a shingle. And, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, when you jump from solopreneur to entrepreneur, when you jump from just managing yourself to having people work underneath you, there's a huge leap that you won't ever understand until you're there. Not as severe as when you have your first kid, yet equally as just daunting because you're responsible to an extent for somebody else's life and their well-being and what they can do with it. You know, this is just financially as opposed to, you know, completely wholly sufficient. And with that, we had to figure out how I could, you know, manage those things. And, you know, we can make a profit. We could pay for the overhead. We could do all those things. And at some point in time, we were playing the commodity game. And when it, you play the commodity game, it's a race to the bottom. I don't know anybody who wakes up in the morning and goes, I want to be a small market Walmart. I want to offer the lowest prices as cheap as possible, do as much as I can for that lowest price and burn myself out, mm-hmm. especially in the service industry. We're not selling products. We're selling our time, which is a finite resource. It's not infinite. So once we get out of 24 hours in the day, we can't sell any more that time. So I had to take a step back and see what we really were doing. I read a great story once where a cellular phone salesman went into a place and tried to sell all of his list of stuff. And they, and you saw the gloss over the eyes and how they kind of zoned out. And he asked him, well, what do you think? He's like, it sounds nice, not today. And then he walked into another place and that guy said, well, how does it work? And instead of going through the list, he goes, it works good. Great. That's all I want to hear. You know, we are... are People who use our services don't necessarily want to know every single nuance and detail of our service. They just want to know, will it work for them? And will we stand behind it should something go wrong? Some people do want to know the basic understandings. If they know how to change the oil in their car, that's great. Most people don't want to change the oil in their car, yet it's good to know that how it gets done so you know you're not getting ripped off. And I found too, especially pricing my services when I started my company back in 2005, I would be trying to sell a website for like $300 and nobody wanted to buy it, you know, and I was going out trying to convince people that they needed a website. They saw that price tag and they thought cheap, it's cheap. So it must be cheap. And then I realized that when I started selling things for thousands of dollars, people saw that must be better. And then when I started finding clients that had the same values as I had, and they wanted something that was as good as I wanted it to be, then I could charge what I was worth because to them, it was a very, very valuable thing that I was doing for them. But you can't solve the problem of the person who has no value for your service. Like if they don't value it, then you can't even price it cheap enough. And if you price it too cheap, then nobody buys it because the people who have value think you're a pile of crap. And so you have to be like at the right spot. I think that you just hammered the, the nail on the head with what is the value we bring to the table now? What is, you know, just not our expertise on what we do. It's our efficiency of getting it done because we know, we know what we're doing. We know how to do it. We know how to troubleshoot those issues. We know how to craft that message. We know how to create that visual. We know how to create that engagement. We know how to track it. Going back those three $500 websites, did we include Google Analytics in those? No. Did we think about heat mapping them to track how user interactions? No. Did we think about A-B split testing? No. 
But this value point is that we got to understand what our value is and we got to communicate value to our clients. Now, what is value? It is expertise and impact. I could have all the, I could have all the expertise in the world. If it's not going to cause an impact for my clients, it's worthless to them. We need to craft it in such a manner to explain to them why we're valuable. You know, have you heard the term, the Godfather offer? No. It's an offer too good to refuse. Okay. If I was to tell you right now, you know, with over 20 years of experience in visual identity and everything that, you know, we could do your logo and your website that has functionality and your lead magnets and your automations and your social media, put it all together and have three months of content and everything for hundred dollars. You would think that's unreal. Yeah. So that's what we were doing 20 years ago when we were starting out, we were giving away too much, but we would have done that for a hundred dollars because we wanted to, to show our worth. Now, if I said all that for somewhere between two and $5,000, real business professionals think that's a good deal because if they had to do it themselves at the hourly rate that they would charge, there's no way it would compete. And that's where Godfather Offer comes in. If we can make it work for in that ballpark, they're going to love it. We see these agencies out of Manhattan that charge 20, 30, 50, $100,000 for that kind of a package. And their target audience is millionaires and billion dollar corporations. $50,000 is a drop in the bucket when you're bringing in a billion dollars a year. And that is one of the tricky things too. Like as we have redefined and redefined our target market at MayCreate, we have to understand the way that the businesses make decisions. We work a lot with commercial construction and also asphalt paving companies. They need a website. They don't want to touch it. They just want somebody else to build it. They never want to touch it. They don't even, heck time, they don't even want to update it. They're just like, oop, I just want to send stuff to my to my friend over at MayCreate and have it done. And we come to them with a price that, they look at because when they put a bid in with the state to repave a highway, it's like a billion dollars. <laughs> when they go buy one new piece of equipment, it's like $500,000. And so they look at this website cost and they're like, oh, well, yeah, <laughs> this is a no brainer, right? Like, and we actually really love, we love working for paving companies and it's totally dorky, but we love them so hard because they're such amazing clients, but don't steal them. Don't steal them from us. <laughs> But knowing that that sale for them is all about the customer service and the fact that they don't have to worry about anything and it's not as much about the price tag, it means that our values are aligned because that's what we want to do for them is make an awesome website backed by great service that they don't have to stress out about and they're going to pay us and we're going to get to feed our families and it's going to be awesome. So everybody gets what they want. (laughs) And and there's plenty of opportunity like that out there. And it's all about that perspective within it so that we can recognize that we don't have to settle to be starving artists. We can Mm -hmm. find those clients whose values and pocketbooks align with what our value is worth. I could charge $50 an hour. I could charge $500 an hour. I could charge $5,000 an hour. And I would find the right client to align with that. You have to have confidence in yourself and in your ability. You got to be able to say these kind of numbers without flinching. There was a period of time where I went through the whole proposal process. And then it's like, and now we're coming to the unfortunate part where we have to talk about business. And um, this is going to be expensive. It's going to be $1,900, which wouldn't even cover a month mortgage on my building right now. (laughs) If I'm questioning it, I'm giving them reasons to question me. Yeah. If I'm making it a big deal, even if they don't think it's a big deal, if you went to that company that spent $500,000 on a piece of equipment and said, Ooh, this is going to be steep. This is going to be $49,000. They would be like, really? Do I, do I need a second guess this? Can I get this significantly less expensive? 
We're putting thoughts in their head because of our own imposter syndrome, our own insecurity. Are we worth this amount? Are we worth what we charge? Are we willing to do that? There's a great story about the expert on the Hoover Dam. Building the Hoover Dam, everything's going great. One day, all this equipment shuts down. They don't know what's going on. They can't figure out what machinery in the line of it is going wrong. They call up the expert engineer. He comes down, takes them 30 minutes drive over there, goes in, looks at the whole blueprint of the plan, walks around for about 30 minutes and says, here, you got to fix this here, X, Y, Z. They do it. And he goes, do you want us to give you the invoice now? Yeah, just give it now. Writes up a receipt. Because this is, again, back in the 1950s. Hand it to them. They go, $100,000? You're only here for 40 minutes? Well, okay, you want me to itemize it? Yeah, itemize it. Rewrites it out, hands it over. Labor, $10. Knowing where to look, (laughs) $999,990. So it's understanding what my worth is, what my company's value is and how to present it so that we make an impact on the client and and having the confidence to to wear that and not be ashamed of what makes you you i am i've been told i'm clever my clients want me to be clever for them not clever in describing myself not clever in describing the services we do they want it to be direct because they want to seem clever to their target audience they get that i'm clever they just don't want to waste the time weaving through my cleverness so that i can help them quicker those little tips and tricks that I had to figure out my worth, knowing that they value it, just not in the way that I valued it. And so I had to reposition it and put it together to be impactful for them. And I think that it's all about that perspective. And that's one of the things that I feel like a lot of our nonprofit clients get stuck in. They're like, well, I'm, I'm asking people for money. It's like, no, you are giving people an opportunity to make a difference. You are giving people an opportunity to invest in making a change. That is an opportunity. You are not asking them for money because you are going to take their money and you are going to invest it in the future of your mission. That is thinking about it completely differently. And as I started selling at May Create, it was hard. Like I started forever ago and I had a person who was with me and she was a salesperson. And then when she left, I had to learn how to sell. And I wouldn't even call myself a salesperson. I had, I enrolled myself in sales training and I love teachers. The first thing that my sales trainer made me do was just refer to myself as a salesperson. Like if you can't call yourself a salesperson, Monica, nobody's ever going to buy crap from you. Just put on the jacket and wear it, do it. And so that was a huge thing for me is just being like, it's okay. I can talk about money. I can sell the things I do because they're great and you're going to benefit from them. And I agree with you completely. I mean, speaking of nonprofits, I was working with a nonprofit just the other week. Um, they do a benefit concert and we have these, you know, tiered levels. And we, the, some of the feedback from last year was that this tiered level, this top tiered level, is just way too high, just way too high. It's just too much money. And so I said, so you're willing to take that out of your package? Yeah. And I looked in my eye and said, why are you being so selfish? And he said, what? It took him back a minute. It's like, what? It's like, why are you being selfish? He's like, I don't understand what I mean. You're taking this out because it makes it uncomfortable to talk about a large sum of money. What could we do with this large sum of money? You may not get this sponsorship every year. If it did randomly come into your lap, though, this year, if someone stepped up to the plate and did it, what would it do? It would do X, Y, and Z. It would help this many people. It would help this many kids. So why are you willing to take that opportunity away? 
Why are you willing to take away that chance just because it's a large number? Why are you being so selfish to make yourself comfortable? If we got into business to make ourselves comfortable, we are idiots. (laughs) Nothing comfortable about being in business. There's a certain level of comfort in working in a business. There's nothing comfortable about owning a business because there's things you love and that's comfort. And then there's things you don't like. And that is such a level of discomfort. That's an area for growth. So I asked him, why are you being so selfish? Because you want to be comfortable. How many kids has to go without because you want to be comfortable? It had a really, really great effect through a very awkward conversation. So we kept that level in. And then the next time he saw his colleagues, he explained it in that frame. He's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Because last year for the concert, we had it in their sponsor program. We didn't get that sponsor level. Yet one of the People who did sponsor said, oh, you need this amount? Yeah. So he called up three of his buddies and between the four of them, they each got a slightly smaller level, but it totaled that amount. Whereas he might've only had that one sponsor at that one level, had we not asked for more in a very direct manner with with reasons behind it. And yeah, would that top tier run the whole concert? Yeah. That that means that any other dollars that come in can go straight towards the, it's a fundraiser. You got to cover the the fundraiser in and of itself before you can actually create revenue. Anything created helps goes to that ultimate goal. And so I feel like a lot of nonprofits, because they're asking for money and because it's awkward, they don't want to ask for what they're worth or what they do. They don't take the time to analyze what a dollar means, what a hundred dollar means, what a thousand dollar means. They don't put that into a story or a word. If I donate thousand dollars to the food bank. That sounds good. If I said that a thousand dollars to the food bank would buy a pallet of peanut butter, which would generate 5,000 meals for, for 500 families, that has a lot more of an interest impact. So would it be selfish to not ask for that thousand dollars? Yes. It's selfish because that's awkward. Would it be insightful with intent to explain through a story of why that thousand dollars is so meaningful. So it's not just a one with three zeros. Yeah. And that can like feed your worth behind it as well. Right. Because you're quantifying the worth of this contribution and you're showing people that you really are going to do good things with the money that they give you. And it's the same thing for businesses. You have to believe that you're really going to do good things with the money that people give you. And that's why you can charge them for it. And mm-hmm. I, um, I had somebody ask me the other day, they were like, why does it cost so much to build a website? And I was like, well, that is a loaded question because it can cost not very much to build a website if you want to do it yourself. So I guess I could ask you why you don't want to do it yourself. But then too, I'm like, if you want a $300 website done. And you want to have an amazing website because that's what people expect these days, right? They don't expect the second rate pile, right? They want something great. So you're asking me to ask Tyler, my senior level developer who has worked for me for like 11 years, who has a wife and a life, and he is really good at his job. You're asking him to dedicate over a week of his life to you for $300. Is that actually going to feed him? No, no, because Tyler's actually a power lifter. So it really would not feed Tyler, but, <laughs> but, but like, it won't pay his mortgage. Like it will buy his dog food, but like, that's not, that doesn't work because I have value of Tyler. I can't 
sell you this thing for undervalue. It just, it doesn't work. When we gift clients time, because we do have clients that they need help with something. And we're like, you know what? We love you. We want to take care of you. We're going to give you your time. So we've had to work into our scripting that when we give clients time, we tell them that we did it. We have Mm -hmm. to say, we worked for two hours on this. That is the equivalent of, you know, $220 and we're giving this to you. But if I did not tell you that I just gave you $220, you would just assume that I just did it and that it was worth nothing. So it's like, even when you do some them a favor, you have to let them know that this is happening. There's a value to it. There's a value because otherwise they just expect you to do everything for free. And that doesn't really work. <laughs> so there's a valuation and they understand that you did something great for them. Um, jumping back to what you just said at the beginning of that, where how, why is a web, why is a website expensive? I've, I've recently started to equivalate WordPress to, to people when they ask that question to car chassis, a Volvo model car shares a chassis with a Lamborghini. So you could have a Volvo or a Lamborghini. You could have a 50,000 car or a $500,000 car. They still have the same underpinnings. They still have the same basic level underneath it all. It's what you do with it and how you craft it. Why do you want different cars? Why do cars cost so much? I want to say that there's some that are still just under 10. They're rare, but I want to say that they're out there. Two million dollar cars. Websites are the same thing. It's what you do with it. It's how much performance you put on it. It's what kind of bells and whistles you attach to it. And some of them have the same underpinnings. I really like the chassis idea because it's like when you build a website on WordPress, you're putting a chassis on it that you can do about anything with at any given time. And yep. you, but there's other types of uh, products that you can build a website on that they yeah. don't allow you that type of extendability and flexibility, you know? And so that's a, it's a tricky thing. It's a tricky thing. And I know that WordPress isn't for everybody, but my office is a WordPress love fest and, and everybody's invited to attend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it runs 40% of the web for a reason. Yeah. There's, I think too, it's like insurance. So this is back to knowing your worth. So we build things on WordPress. It's a powerful system. I understand the worth of that because I encounter websites all the time that can't do the things that they're supposed to do for the people because they just can't, like there's no way to do it. And I'm like, well, if you had WordPress site, it wouldn't be a problem. We could make it happen, but I can't do it in this proprietary space over here that you've got. But I know my worth and I know the worth of having a WordPress site. So I want to work with people who have the same worth. WordPress. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's an analogy. I like. So I appreciate you liking that. Now, do you have any advice for people who are maybe experiencing imposter syndrome? Because that's the buzz phrase that everybody uses now. And I didn't understand what it meant forever. It basically means that you don't feel like you're good enough. Yeah. Like you're faking it and, and you haven't made it yet. Yeah. You feel internally like you're faking it. I'm a big reader. I like books. I'm mostly a big listener. I listen to a lot of audiobooks. And so there's some really great ones out there. I like Introvert's Edge by Matthew Pollard. I think that's a great one for business and sales. I really like Russell Brunson. Him and his team created ClickFunnels and they have this whole value ladder thing. And, you know, there's Dan Kennedy who has the whole No BS series. He's been doing copywriting services for 40, 50 years. He charges $188,000 a day. That's amazing. He has people, he, he doesn't answer the phone. You, if you want to talk to him, you have to fax him and he'll only read faxes on certain days. His assistant lives across the country so that they don't interrupt each other during the day. This is, uh, but you know. Like he knows his worth. Yeah. 
He gets he gets paid a flat amount and then he gets residuals on top of it because it's expected to make money. He knows his worth. I like it though. And I, and I do feel like there's a powerful thing with he's like, and I'm not even going to be interrupted by my assistant. I'm putting him across the country, right? He's like, really? I mean, he my out time what- is worth this much. Yeah. No, and it doesn't just break down when you're being productive. If someone is scheduled to come meet him, they have to stay at a hotel within eight minutes of where he lives because that commute time, you know, he's not going to wait for someone if they get caught up in traffic that affects him. He's factored everything into it. It's just really, really interesting. So I'd say, I think he has like 20 books. If you go through them all, I mean, he has one called Ruthless Timekeeping of Profits and People. And it just kind of really breaks down putting a dollars and cents, but to everything and how to optimize that efficiency. So, um, so those are resources. I, I like books. And so I like using those resources and kind of going back to them and figuring some stuff out. There's a lot of knowledge out there in those $30 tombs that college education doesn't quite cover today in a practical sense. So I, I like to go back to them. And that's been a huge thing that has helped me. The other thing is, you know, like you did with your sales trainer and I've done too with other people, hire a mentor. You want to find out what's going on, hire someone not to be your friend, just to tell you the truth and get you to the next place you need to be. Uh, I mentioned, you mentioned a book by Matthew Pollard earlier called Introvert's Edge. I hired him to be my mentor. It was some of the best money I spent. Was it cheap? No. If I was only looking at dollars and cents, would I have done it? No, because it was like in 2021 when I put the bill in that was coming out of a very, the 2020 chaos. I went to therapy when my kids were young because I was a, a, I mean, I I had two little kids and I'm a business owner and it was a lot. Like I didn't expect it to be that much. And I had postpartum depression. It was a hot mess. So like after each kid, my husband was like, call up the therapist, get in there, girlfriend, because we got to get you back and running. It was, it was intense. And I had to have that person. And one of my clients is, is a therapist. And he said, Monica, you're doing a good thing for yourself. And you're doing a good thing for your kids and your family. Because the fact that you're in therapy now means they don't have to go to therapy later. We weren't raised with the tools that we need to live in the universe that we live in today. It's not easy. Our parents didn't have the, the stresses and, and the stuff on them that we have on us or that, that we have on our kids. Like, I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know how to keep them safe and keep them right. But I do know how to help them think and be aware and make decisions. And And I think that communication training or whatever kind of training you're going to go through will help you just be open-minded and understand that we just really weren't equipped as humans or, or raised to be able to do these things that we're now expected to do every day. I mean, my grandma was blind since she was 27, I build websites. When she passed away, she had never seen a website. She didn't even know what I was talking about. She didn't even understand what I did. Imagine how far that went from just one generation. So I love the idea of training. I think it's powerful and it helps people get themselves through and motivated, right? So now that you know your worth, so you know where you're at and your value as a human, but also your value of your services, Tell me, how is it on the other side? How do you know that you arrived? Well, I do have Imaginary Friends Design Studios. That is the, the marketing design company. I have another company called PrintZoom, which is a print company because one can lead to the other. Yes. And, and in a rural community, you don't always have the best of options. So over the last year, I've been working on, this is how I know I've arrived. I'm working on my own personal brand for consulting so that I can go out and help people so that they don't have to spend 20 plus years trying to 
figure this out on their own so that they don't have to jump through these hoops so they can take advantage of certain technology that is around today that wasn't around 20 years ago. As a bootstrap starting business, my office phone was my cell phone. And that created boundary issues with some clients, boundary issues with me trying to please those clients. You know, worse now it's like, there are some really amazing apps that do second line service on a phone. So you don't have to have a separate cell phone for the business. You can create rules within that app so that you could have office hours. You could have voice to text in case it's an emergency. You could have other things and you could have like, if you have the three person office, but they're all remote, they could all turn on the app at the same time. And it's like, they're in one office that rings on all three phones simultaneously. Which you once know. again goes back to knowing your worth because you yes. are setting the boundary that you will not work 24-7 because your values as a person, if it's free time or flexibility or whatever it is, you have to create a business and systems that mm-hmm. support those things. And when they're not being supported, you're not, it's not just about money. You literally, I've got a client that has my cell phone number and I gave it to her and I was like, never use it ever again. Let's be clear. And she did call me one day on it. And um, she's like, I just first want to apologize for calling you on the cell phone. And I was like, okay. And she goes, but I wanted to tell you that you are so amazing and you helped me solve an amazing problem today. And you didn't even talk to me. And that's all I wanted to say. And I'm going to get off the phone. I love you. And I was like, okay, Uh so you can use my cell phone for that, Melanie. (laughs) So she abused her cell phone privileges to tell me that she loved me. So I forgave her. That's a good, that's a good one. That's a dream. It is. She's just the best compliment giver. So any final thoughts, any final thoughts that people need to know to walk away with so that way they know their own worth or know that they're not valuing themselves enough. I think that you, you kind of touched on something that could be a whole nother topic and that's just managing expectation, mm-hmm. managing expectations for yourself you have to have that conversation with yourself. You have to manage your own expectations of yourself as well as manage your expectations of meeting your clients. And so having processes and systems in place, having scripts to cover scenarios, having a workflow process that you can explain to your clients, manage the expectations of them. And you'll find that one, they'll respect you more or, and two, you'll weed out those who had never had respect for you from, from the beginning. And therefore we're taking advantage of you. I love it. So friends, you just heard from two human beings who have been in business for a long time. (laughs) And we did not know our own worth when we started. And there were probably times in the middle where we didn't know our own worth either. But by continually re-examining what was going on externally and internally, we could right the ship and, and keep ourselves moving forward. So some people are born with confidence. Some people just have it coming out of the womb. It's the darndest thing, right? And then other people, they don't. And it's okay. It's okay. Because- Everyone is still worth it and everybody is unique and awesome. And hopefully you heard that in our stories today. Before I close this, John, tell us where people can connect with you. Where can they meet you out online? My company's website is neversee.me. I'm tossing up the landing page this week for the Reach Architect, which is the moniker I'm going under for my consulting, reacharchitect.com. So if you find Reach Architect or the Reach Architect on most platforms, that's me personally. Awesome. Okay. Well, we'll include all of those links in the show notes. That way everybody can get out and meet you. And if you do need help with consulting or it's a little bit of business startup and marketing advice, there's things that 
being in business, I'm, I'm sure you can relate to, there's things I wish I knew 20 years ago that would have made a trajectory of difference. And I'm not just talking about the confidence in selling, there are systems and, and technologies that are in place. And then from that, how do you pitch it? How do you find your market? How do you find your niche? How do you narrow it down? You know, what kind of extra value do you need to add to the table? Well, John, it has been a pleasure having you on the podcast today and everybody else. Thank you for hanging out with us. And until next time, go forth and market with purpose. To get a copy of the show notes and all those links that we just heard from our guest, head on over to maycreate.com, M-A-Y-E-C-R-E-A-T-E.com. And of course, I have to tell you the things that all podcasters are supposed to tell you at the end of their episodes. Like, if you thought this was awesome, you could subscribe. And then I would like get to tell you when I have new stuff for you to learn and new episodes and new people to meet, new stories to tell. Oh, and of course, I would really love it if you left a review. So head on over to maycreate.com for those show notes. M-A-Y-E. C-R-E-A-T-E.com or maybe even contact my team about building that next website. We can do it for you and we even have our Better Than DIY website program that teaches you to plan and build your own website. So head on over to maycreate.com M-A-Y-E C-R-E-A-T-E.com I'll meet you over there.